something like that five month hiatus i am here in the generation studios slash lobby <laughs> slash narthex i don't know what kind of language do you use for you guys can laugh into the thing you don't have to be quiet i feel st- it feels like i'm just talking to myself here funny, though. Don't no 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 do it especially then uh so we have not recorded for many many months um but one of the things we've loved to do over the years is when we have our missionary partners in town to record some episodes, just getting to know them and their story and their ministries. And we have the very distinct privilege of having Aaron and Christy uh, Wheaton. Uh, I will say returning home. Uh, that's probably not how they think of it. <laughs> Visiting us again after uh, a stint here many years ago now at this point. And we have Felix and Priscilla Combo with us, our partners from Burkina Faso, West Africa. So we're going to record a couple of episodes Um We have limited equipment that we're going to operate under those limitations. We have two mics and how many people in the room? Scotty is here fact-checking, as he often does online. (laughs) They're on the the phone next to me. He may chime in. Uh, We're going to do an episode with Aaron and Christy, and then we're going to do an episode with Felix and Priscilla. So we'll release those separately. And uh, hi, Aaron and Christy. How are we? Hey, doing well. Chrissy, you had like a, you remember the old Saturday Night Live um, when they did the uh, the recording with John Goodman and it was like the chili uh, or the, the, was it meatballs? What was it? that I think it was chili and they wanted the ingredients and they, the, the, the girls would be like, like they would ask the ingredients and they'd be like, meat, <laughs> cheese. And they kind of had this laughter that they would do in between. And you reminded me of that just now. It was, it was like Molly Shannon and uh, what was the other lady's name? I can't remember. I'll have to look it up. Yeah. Old, old school L- uh, SNL. Anyway, um, welcome. We're so glad to have you guys here visiting. Um, I'm going to try to take us back a little bit. Um, well, okay, let's do this. Um, and I don't know who of you wants to start here. But uh, let's try to, before we go earlier in life, how we got here, let's maybe talk about your involvement in generations, like kind of when that was, like, because you guys are not just people we support. You are the only people really that we have really sent out from here. Uh, mm-hmm. And so it might be good to just kind of draw some of that connection. So, and actually it always makes me, I always feel weird to say this. Christy's my cousin. Yeah. And, uh, that's not really how we ended up here. I mean, somewhat it is, but like somewhat, we didn't grow up yeah. hanging out together as no. cousins. We lived on different coasts and yep. had very different lives and did not. And I'm far older s- than you, but far older. So my memories of you are as a baby. it's important that we emphasize that. Baby jamers. We're it. <laughs> You're welcome. Thank you for that. <laughs> I, I said in a sermon, I don't know, probably six or seven months ago, uh, we were, I can't remember what it was about, but I had shared with people how like people within your own family, they do things that sort of agitate, you know? And, and one of the things <laughs> oh. I mentioned was how my family still to this day calls me Jamers yeah. and makes me feel like I'm this little kid. And so what do you think everybody did after church that week? Yeah. They love to recover Jamers. So yeah. thank you for bringing up scarring <laughs> issues Sorry. for me. I didn't know the, the yeah. far reaching impact yeah, yeah. it had. So, um, yeah, let us know, like share with people just, we have so many people that are newer to the church. <laughs> um, and who don't know you guys. And yeah. So anyway, share a little bit of the story of how you ended up here. And um, 
I don't even know what the timeline was on that anymore. Yeah, it was in 2011, July, that we came to be a part of um, a, about a one-year-old church plant, I yep. think. Um, at the time was you and your dad. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I had reached out to my uncle um, as we were pursuing missions, and he said, come down and check us out, see what we're doing. And we came and spent a week or two with um, everyone here and decided that we were going to leave our home in Montana and come with the long-term goal of going into full-time overseas missions, the short-term goal of um, being in full-time pastoral ministry, Aaron studying um, under you guys, getting to do life on life, more um, more gospel-centered community than we had ever officially done as a full-time part of our life. So we had three kids at the time. Um, and our family came down here and spent two years here before going overseas. That's it. It was only mm-hmm. two years. Mm-hmm. Wow. We did a lot in two years. Mm-hmm. Um, cool. So 2011, you reached out to my dad, and that all sort of transpired. Um, you guys are non-traditional missionaries, Indeed. I would say. Indeed. We were old. Well, that's not what I meant. Okay. <laughs> I just meant the pathway. Yeah, both. Um, so... Maybe talk a little bit. Well, I guess maybe we should do just earlier. Like, give us a little bit of background for both of you. Christy, you can tell us a little bit of how you grew up. Aaron, same. Um, And then we'll talk a little bit about your pathway into this. Because I think a lot of people think missionaries and they think, you know, the the whole, like they would maybe a pastor, they think seminary and clear call. And, you know, even the missionary work that you do might be in a specific vein that people think of. And I think every part of that is outside of the maybe normal expectations for you guys. So, mm-hmm. um, so yeah, share background stuff a little bit first. Okay. Um, testimony uh, a little bit, yeah. Yeah, so we both, Aaron kind of is fighting a cold, so I'm talking more than um, my fair share, but we were born and raised in Southern California, and we've been friends since we were 12. We didn't start dating until after my first year of college, um, and we both were raised in Christian homes in a real rural community in San Diego, and... Um, because we were both followers of Christ in a larger friend group that was less um, less full of Christians, uh, we really connected over the Lord. And so over the years, we were we were just friends and did Bible studies together. So you guys um, were friends through middle and high school, but you didn't do any awkward high. dances together. All the awkward dances. You did all of them. Oh yeah. Oh okay, but yep. you weren't dating when you, you were Arms just friends. at full length. Yeah yeah yeah. Oh yeah, we did it. Interesting. Sweaty sweaty boys in a gymnasium. Yeah. yeah. Even for the Holy Spirit, Scotty says. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um. So we now have been married twenty almost twenty eight years. And, um, seems like two. <laughs> yeah. Well said. Well said. <laughs> yeah. So our, I don't know. Do you want me to tell you about my family? Um, whatever you want to. Aaron, uh, well, let's see. You went to college where? I went to college, um, the first three years at University of Northern Iowa. Okay. And I How actually, that? yeah, I graduated from San Diego State because I came home to get married. The Aztecs. Yes. All right. They just had a good. Yeah. They got a little bit of A little bit of a run in the here. NCAA tournament, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And then Aaron, on the other hand, any, yeah, filling some gaps there for us. Yeah. Um, yeah. I started really our, um relationship young like Christy was saying and I just think that it's neat to think that you can meet people early in life you know that God's going to use later in life and you don't always know how yeah. um, at all times but uh, and when Christy came back to visit from um, from college uh, we started 
going out and riding long distance and fell in love. And I'm sorry, writing, like letter writing. We did letter writing. Dude. And I have to admit that we also, that was back in the days of long distance phone calls. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. By the minute? Yeah, like, exactly. So now our kids will tell this story and they just laugh at us because I'll, be, I'll tell them, I had like a $400 phone bill one yeah. month, you know, and I realized... Yeah. Well, we can talk a little less, and I can actually fly back there and see her from time to time for less than I'm paying wow. in phone bills. Yeah, that's so, wild. So um, uh, through a, <clears throat> a long process, though, we got to know each other and re- recognized that we were headed in the same direction, and both of us wanted the, to keep the Lord um, primary in our lives. Mm-hmm. And that was really one of the, the central aspects. Um, when we returned to... Southern California. Um, I had uh, completed high school, done a couple years of community college while working full time uh, the whole time, and I was in the uh, the trades. So uh, my father sets uh, tile and stone, and that's what I started doing as well. So um, when we got married, I was uh, working in construction and uh, doing that, and Christy was uh, completing uh, college, and yeah, then. And studying what? Teaching? Recreation therapy. Recreational therapy. Yeah. So working with people with special needs yeah. with either adapting so that they can still participate in sports and activities or with rehabilitation goals um, cool. in the hospital with people in skilled nur- nursing facilities. I don't think I knew it was that specialized. That's cool. Yeah. So you learn something new every day. Um, <clears throat> do you guys? Did you guys keep letters? Um, <gasps> I Cor- think from we, early correspondence, we did until we went overseas. Oh, and then really? you're like, where do you where do you keep those? Uh, publish and, it in a book. And that, yeah, obviously. exactly. Yeah, no book plans. <laughs> uh, that's wild. Um, it's isn't it sad to think that like there's like a whole generation of people that will never probably know what that's like to like get a letter in the mail, right? From, from like their girlfriend or boyfriend or something like that. Yeah, it was fun. Well, now you time. get a It's a deem. sad day you live in, Scotty. <laughs> Don't you now get like a notification? <gasps> uh, Does that That's give you that same, same feeling? That same, it doesn't to that me. That same but dopamine hit, yeah. yeah, as they say. We <laughs> not in anything like when you'd go to the you'd go to the mailbox every day and it'd be like, oh, yeah, not there, not there, and then like, <gasps> it's there. You yes. Know? Yeah. As a dad with older kids or. Now been married all three of them over the last two years. I'll use this time to selfishly tell people, um, talk to people. Don't just text yeah. because you know that's one of the things we experience with our kids is, um, man, so much misunderstanding, so much other weird stuff goes on now because you don't get to hear what someone's saying sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, and it takes you into all kinds of different places. But so I just encourage everyone out there that <laughs> one of the things we learned with our kids is, um, you know, talk to people. Face-to-face. Face-to-face, man, yeah. or on the phone even. Yeah, you know, there's that true. radical idea of calling someone instead yeah. of texting. Using your phone. Yes, exactly. Phone call. <laughs> so there, yeah. that proves how Aaron old I am. Aaron and I might <laughs> descend into curmudgeonly rants about the way the world is versus the way the world used to be during the course of this podcast. Uh, we both have our old souls in certain ways. Um, so, uh, okay, so you mentioned your kids. Uh, tell us a little bit about just where you, your kids... When you guys came in 2011, they were, I don't remember what ages. 9, 11, and 13. Okay. And then they are, that puts them today... 21, 23, old. and 25. And all three have been married in the last year. In, in two years. Or two they, years. The okay. girls will have their anniversaries in June. Okay. Yeah. And then Jesse got married in December. In December. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
That's pretty wild. Yep. And you just welcomed your first grandbaby we into did. the world. We did. Like a minute Piper and a half Jane. ago. Yes. How long ago? Um, two weeks. Two weeks? Yeah. Piper Jane. Yeah. And so they're very happy, proud grandparents now. Yes. You're looking a little grandparentish, Aaron. <laughs> he means that in the best possible way. No, no, no. I meant it in... <laughs> yes. I understood. Yeah. <laughs> um, so... Um, yeah. Okay. So you ran, uh, you, you did construction uh, uh, and a, a lot of blue collar business stuff. Were you working, Christy, professionally in that, in the space of your degree after that? Homeschool mom. Homeschool mom. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, well, listen, you guys were how old when you got married? 20. So you I had several 20. years before you had children, though. Yeah. 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 No, I, I worked. No, because I finished my degree not long before Jana was born. Okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. Out so, of state transfer, all that stuff. Yeah. So Aaron's real entrepreneurial, mm-hmm. and uh, what were the, kind of the range of different jobs, or you just kind of did everything, like jack well, of all trades? No, I mean it's mostly it's centers hard. around building and construction. So um, I grew up learning a trade from a really early age. So I set uh, uh, custom tile and stone in in homes, and um, then uh, I worked for my dad, who was also a tile setter up to that point in time, and then at about 22, 23, um, got my own license, and we started a, our own business in the same field. And then at 25, we, or 23, we built our first house, I guess. And um, we began building homes as well okay. during that period of time. Um, we also, uh, during that period of time, started a granite fabrication company. So um, we've done that. Uh, later in life, I did a stint as a taxidermist. So that's always been a fun fact for yeah. people to. So like you moved uh, to Montana, yeah. you got into like hunting and all that stuff. Yeah. And you were paying a lot of money for yeah. taxidermy and thought yeah. I can save money by doing this myself. Yeah. So we grew up in, um, in San Diego area and loved to surf and uh, spend time at the beach and sports as a, as a young guy. And uh, then as... Um, I aged, I started to, uh, and did a lot of driving around that area, real congested, kind of like it is here in Atlanta, just a lot of traffic. And I got uh, a little more fatigued with um, with the time and traffic and busyness. And I, I kind of started, always fished growing up, but I started hunting and I got hooked real bad. So between hunt, hunting and fishing, we started taking uh, trips. Instead of down towards the beach as much, we went more towards the mountains. How old were state. you when you got your first camouflage hat with a hook on it? Oh, that's a good question. With a hook on it, I would say that was that was young. That was probably in <laughs> junior high or, or so. But uh, as far as hunting had, then that didn't really start until after I was an, as an adult because no one in my family hunted. Okay. So, so you were a first-generation hunter. First-generation hunter, uh, many-generation fisherman. And then when would waders have come into play? Waders, yeah. That would have been sometime probably in, in high school, I would, have say, I would okay. say. Yeah. And right. waders in a bass boat, you know. All right. Just want to get a little bit of a glimpse into like adolescent Aaron. Yeah, so. a, lot of, a lot of bass fishing and a lot of surfing. Okay. That was my... My high school um, age. Yeah. So you took the business, or you you, you wanted to get away from the congestion. Yeah. Um, so you know, as as Christy and I uh, got married and started our family, um, uh, the Lord was blessing us. We were involved in the local church, um, but we definitely were were thinking that we wanted to raise our kids in a smaller context, in a smaller environment. You know, kind of small town America. Um, 
combine that with our love of the mountains and states that had a lot less folks in them, and that began to draw us north. And um, so eventually, in 2004, we made the move to, to western Montana. And um, before we moved, part of that is that I, I had learned that I liked taxidermy work, and I had a kind of a knack for it. So I did a, a while I was working full-time down in San Diego, I would drive up to Riverside County, and I would uh, do a kind of an apprenticeship, kind of an unpaid apprenticeship, uh, about three days a week, and the kind um, of apprenticeship nobody wants. The kind that nobody wants that more people should do, <laughs> because uh, you learn a lot. You know, hands on, a lot about our life is kind of this kind of a apprenticeship mentoring type of a scenario. So um, I learned my trades that way. Um, I feel like uh, we've seen people around us now as I've gotten older and been able to teach other guys. We've seen it as the most effective way of di- discipleship or learning mo- almost anything is well, we, just hands-on. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 we, we talk about discipleship and the way we define it here is a daily apprenticeship with Jesus, right? So that, that's what we're all into at the spiritual level. And so you've just kind of got a more in, you're more in touch with that at the personal, professional, like developmental level in, in like the earthly sense, but it gives you a pretty good understanding of what discipleship actually is, I think. So. Yeah, exactly. I think that um, there's a lot you can do in a formal setting as far as learning, but what it really comes down to is that, like you said, that day-to-day walk. How am I walking this out? It's not what book do I read and do I agree with it intellectually, but uh, what am I putting into practice? What mm-hmm. am I walking out day-to-day? And um, so whether it's learning a trade um, or walking with the Lord, learning how to do family, um, we just are, are huge believers in doing that life on life. Yeah. And you have kids that have been to college and you have kids that have done trade school and development. And so, um, yeah. Um, okay. So you're in Western Montana, 2004, you said, uh, you're walking with Jesus. You're committed part of a church, all those things. Um, I don't, uh, maybe jumping to something of like, when did this sort of uh, burden for maybe more missions, ministry, discipleship, like, I mean, all those things are kind of evolving in this time. Yeah, so when we moved to Montana, it was just a really big change in context. We went from uh, kind of the hustle and bustle of Southern California, going to and being uh, deeply involved in church and home groups, but it was a big church. It was a church of, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, about 10,000 over five services on a weekend. And we uh, found ourselves in a, a, a church uh, that was a great not, Bible. Not, not unlike our church. Not so unlike generations. Yes, generations. exactly. Go ahead. Yes. Um, but that being said, while it did serve us for a period of our life, um, what I'm about to say is that I really enjoy the involvement that you find in churches that aren't that big. So we moved to a context where um, the whole town that we went to church in had about 10,000 people in it. And our church was, I would say, yeah, 70, 75 people total. And at the, in that location with that kind of life on life, um, we really found ourselves growing at a rate in the Lord that we had never had before. Because, you know, there's a lot of anonymity. There's a lot of room to relax in a big setting. And one of the things that we really valued is that, and the Lord used in our lives, is this um, the smaller setting to know people a little bit deeper, to not have a choice about getting deeper, more deeply. To be known. To be known, exactly. <laughs> more deeply, yeah. And during that time, um, uh, uh, Christy uh, began leading the children's ministry. Um, uh, within a couple years, 
Um, I was asked to serve as an elder for the first time in, a, in that context. And I think that that was one of the things that was really pivotal in, in my spiritual walk is, is understanding the, the weight, the gravity of what that means to be an overseer in a church. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that was just a... Yeah, it was a, it was a great thing in in my life. It was it was grow it grew me. It stretched me. Um, so uh, we were living life in, in uh, Western Montana, and um, things began to change. We uh, we, we were got, homeschooling. We, we've got the uh, the weed whacker creep happening to us here. Just if you're picking up on the audio, this seems to happen about every third recording that we do uh, in our soundproof studios is that the landscapers come about the time we record. And so I apologize for background humming if you pick up on the, the noise just outside of our door. All right, sorry. <laughs> no problem. Go ahead. So, we, um, you know, uh, we were very trying to be very purposeful about raising our family and, um, and our family goals. Some of the things that we were uh, encouraged to do at different times were things like, what are we all about? What's our goal with our family? And um, our primary goal as our family was to raise disciples of Christ. We wanted to teach our kids, yes, because we were homeschooling, we wanted to teach them and educate them um, well, but primarily we wanted to move them towards being followers of, of Jesus Christ. And and in doing that, there were some things that, that really changed our lives. One of them, uh, one time as we were challenged to do family worship, and that was a concept that was completely foreign to us, mm-hmm. um, to us in a sense that, you know, it felt really awkward when we started, to be honest, it, you know, <laughs> we're not musically inclined in my experience. It still feels really, awkward. yeah, <laughs> you know, like, and, and I think you're right in that, that we talked about this just on this trip is that there's some things that you do in life that I think because of social norms and because of maybe even sin issues in our own lives that it's hard to get over that hump, but it doesn't mean it's still not a good thing to do. So we'd always uh, read scripture to the kids. We'd always involved them in, um, we prayed together, together. but we really took a a set aside time each after even evening actually to, to pray, to worship, um, to read uh, verse by verse through scripture and to just dig in, you know, and, um, Looking back, I would say it's one of the most invaluable things that, that moved us towards this eventual missions focus is that it allowed us to hear more clearly from the Lord, I would say, in a way, because um, that time was kind of set apart for our family um, to hear and to talk to the Lord versus uh, every day gets busy. You know, we just get so wrapped up in, in the things of life. So for, for our family, it was, a, um, it was just a huge blessing. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like we we did some of this way earlier in the life of our family that we were way better at when our kids were all younger because like now we have a hard time doing it with our young ones because of the schedules of our older ones that we get, you know, so extracurricular activities and all the busyness of stuff. And so I I do sort of lament that we have not um, been able to sustain as consistently with our younger three-ish but even our girls who are so still in that very pliable, like very formative kind of stage, like uh, we've struggled to, to maintain that. And um, so I'm, I'm grateful to even have the reminder of it, just talking about it, just how important it was. Because that was really critical for us in the younger family, like our younger days of development. And, um, an area of uh, failure in recent years for me as a dad. So, Well, I think that one of the main things that I would say along those lines is that 
you know, we did not do it perfectly and we didn't do it every day always. And one of the main things is sometimes we have this attitude or we can find ourselves in an attitude that um, kind of like, you know, you're on a diet and you have a cookie. All of a sudden you decide, oh, I had a cookie. Let's have 12. You know, let, you know, let's not live our Christian walk like that. Let's do it the opposite yeah. way. Let's I only have to go far, as far back as yesterday. <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> Literally, I've been all these like two days ago, and they've got these knockoff Girl Scout cookies oh, there. Oh, man. And the ones that are like the tagalongs, I think is what they're called, the, the, the peanut butter chocolate ones. They have ones like that. But instead of being like $5 a box, they're like a buck and a half. Yeah. <laughs> and, man, you open those things and have one. And I hadn't eaten anything else, so I, I, I ate one, and it was like, oh, my gosh, that's so good. <laughs> And, uh, and I think I probably ate seven or eight of them before yeah. Yeah. I left. <laughs> yeah. We have a, the Winco Thin Mints. Or they're like the Girl Scout Thin Mints, yeah, same yeah. way. You know, they're, yeah. they're cheap and they're good. Funny. The good thing is they put them in really loud packaging. So <laughs> everyone knows if you're opening them and then they just disappear instantly. So yeah. that's helpful. Well, and the other thing is like they're real thin, like... They're the, light. Yeah, the plastic or whatever. So oh, it, they, yeah. they just like, it's like they, they open up real, so you can't store them. They jump out of it. They just jump out so of like, it. Yeah, I'm either going to have to get them stale and waste them or I eat them all now. <laughs> Stewardship. Stewardship, yes. 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 Like, but, you know, so one of the things that I would say that, um, that we've found as we're getting older and looking back is that it's always valuable to return to those practices. Even yeah. if you realize, man, you know, I wish I would have been doing this more. Start tomorrow. Start today. You know, don't don't decide not to move forward in a good way just because yeah, yeah. you may have not walked it out exactly as you had. And you know, there's there's other ways in our in our marriage. I would say that that's has paid dividends. And in other ways, I I, I don't do that well enough. You know, um, so but it's yeah. a good reminder for us to yeah yeah. Um, so now you're taking on responsibility on staff or like children's ministry, uh, being an elder. So it's not just about your own development and your own family. It's also taking the burden of the shepherding of a local church and the caring for people and investing your lives that way, making disciples and so forth. So um, what, uh, when did the missionary thing happen? Or that, that impulse, I guess, develop? You know, I would say that um, during that time that you're describing, that we were describing it, um, there came a point where we we became more and more voracious re- readers, not not just of the Word on a daily basis, but of uh, some other books that just really helped point us back to the the call of the gospel and the recognition that the people around us um, have access to the gospel on a daily basis. And one of the things that we realized is that not everybody, even today, has that complete and, and fingertip access to the gospel. You know, we have we have podcasts, we've got recorded, you know, um, teachings, and, and just we have any, any type of Bible. And, An embarrassment of riches. Oh, my goodness. You know, yeah. um, and then sometimes I think because of that, we just don't recognize that that's not like that all, all over the place. And there's still people who, who don't know um, the name of Jesus because they've never heard of him. Yeah. So as some of these things come about, um, we just found more and more uh, a pull toward um, proclaiming God's word to folks who had not heard it, you know, and, and to say, well, we don't know if we would be any good at it, but <laughs> it seems to us that the reality is, it's more about obedience 
and walking forward, being willing to do what God asks you than um, anything else. So as a family, we began praying for exactly that. Lord, use us as you see fit. And, yeah. and that's what, after time, led us towards this idea of missions. Yeah. The, um, you said it's, you know, it's about obedience or whatever. We, we feel like we've been in a season as a church, like we're walking through the Sermon on the Mount right now. And we're going uh, pretty slowly through that, like just so you're talking a few verses at a time, and <clears throat> the uh, part of the, the 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 motivational piece of that was we really felt like for a good while we f- were focused like there's all these different aspects of apprenticeship or discipleship to Jesus, right? So uh, if if we were we were we had felt like we had developed and kind of well established. Um, Kind of some theological aspects of theological based discipleship, and and we had we had kind of gained some ground, and just the the idea of um, encounter, let's say, based discipleship, or just the reality of the Spirit and the necessity of the Holy Spirit for all of life, and the the, the sort of supernatural um, uh, com- dimension of Christianity from beginning to end, and so we'd been focused on kind of establishing, I think, those two for a period of time. And in, in, in 2022, we kind of shifted to kind of go, hey, we don't want to diminish those two things at all. We believe they're both really necessary, but but we really need to f- get a recovery of obedience-based discipleship of, like, Jesus didn't just call us to, um, you know, to to know about all that he commanded us to do, but to do all that he, to obey all that he commanded, right? And that's part of the Great Commission. And so, um, so we started to try to focus on, a bit of more of going, hey, this, like, how we live actually does matter, and we don't want to, d- like, dilute a focus on grace or get away from the rootedness of grace, but if we're truly rooted in the grace of Christ and the gospel, then it's going to lead to the fruit of obedience and change lives and stuff. So um, I just think it's a really critical thing that when you get to that place where you start going, okay, but this is what Jesus actually commands and says, and, like, what would it look like if we actually did this? And I think on the one hand, we want to go, hey, well, if we're going to obey Jesus, it doesn't mean it has to, that you have to go overseas and do this, or you have to sell all your possessions and give to the poor. You have to, like these radical things that we see people do, let's say, in the Gospels, or like leave your nets and go and, you know. But it's like, I think we, we, we so often want to go, well, it doesn't mean that. When it's like, yep, but, but maybe it, might. it does. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So like, maybe following <laughs> Jesus will make you a crazy person and lead you to do something stupid that makes no sense in this world. Um, and, and I think in certain ways, that's where it took you guys, ultimately. Definitely. Right? <laughs> Without a doubt. I mean, I, I still remember way back at a moment where I feel like, you know, you, you can look back often and see those moments where kind of a Holy Spirit moment where your heart was stirred previously, you know. And I just remember telling Christy, like, you know, I don't, I don't know that I want to go too much deeper here because I know I'm, we're going to end up in a mud hut in Africa, right? right. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I can remember yeah. that was way back at the Church of 10,000. That yeah. was like... And, and that's like <laughs> when Jesus says, uh, you know, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away, your right eye gouge it out. And, and we always, like, mud hut in Africa is kind of that, like, uh, uh, hyperbolic sort of category. And it's like, no, that's actually where it took you, ultimately. Exactly. And, you know, there's a, even even... Further in our, and once we were like, okay, I think the Lord might be calling us overseas or out of our context. I'm like, okay. And we, I, I actually had this discussion we did with, uh, with my wife. And so we we're thinking laying in bed when I remember it. And, and I'm like, you know, okay, but there's got to be a couple of parameters. Like we've got to have a coast. 
on whatever country we serve on. It's got to be like near a body of water, right? Because I don't want to be in one of those. Uh, by the way, Burkina Faso Burkina is, Faso is landlocked, is landlocked by seven countries. Right below the Sahara Desert. Um, so, and then uh, what was the other one? But I've been in a lake there that had hippos. So True. there is a body of water-ish. And yeah, much to my chagrin, this is, all, I, I should be embarrassed at this one, but um, in learning some of the places that needed gospel, I didn't want to have to learn French. Really? That was like a specific thing? Like, seriously. Oh, I didn't remember that. Yeah. I just would have thought like so, no language, well, period. Well, I think I've been kind of embarrassed to admit that, <laughs> to be honest, because yeah. um, it ended up so like, man, if I was just willing to do what the Lord wants me to do, why you was a I... Certain, as, a, as, a, as a man's man kind of guy who does <laughs> well, like... Well, that's kind of what it came down does, to. Does like you hard know? work with his hands and manual labor type stuff and taxidermy. Aaron, I assume you have a certain thought about French culture. Yes. And so Frenchiness I have to, I have to come clean about that. So I won't say anymore. I'll get myself in a bigger hole, but yes. Can we agree though that crepes were a good idea? <laughs> crepes were, uh, French food is awesome. Okay. All right. Okay. There you go. So that's good. There you go. Um, Christy, Christy, talk to us a little bit about what it's like on your end of this. So, I mean, Aaron's talking about kind of from, from his perspective, what that journey was like, like, um, are you feeling I don't know, like, is Aaron leading the charge here or is it like a God's doing similar things in both of you individually and you're just discovering kind of these, these things together? Are you feeling like, I don't know, like what's the process like in these years from 04 to 11? Yeah, I think that's why I point so much to family worship because we were connected. We were, we were in lockstep because we were praying together and, you know, um, two of our kids had clear moments where... Um, one of them, we came home from some activities and um, said, there's got to be more to life than this. It was, a, it was a fun day. It was like a singing event, you know, like a, a chorus presentation they had done. And um, so we were, we were enjoying life. We were, we were really thankful and grateful for all the Lord had done. And yet we felt... I think there's more to life than just living our own life. And then... Um, I don't know the timeline, but at another point, another one of our kids during prayer time, um, we were all had our eyes closed and one of our kids got up and had went to, went to the restroom and came back with tears because they had felt a clear sense of the Lord saying go. And this, this one of our kids had struggled with fear about, I don't know where we're, where we're, where are we even praying about going or, um, visiting even had been overwhelming. And so having that, um, that clarity from the Lord made it to where there was no, there was no hiccup between the five of us. We were all, all in. Yeah. Even the kids are along for this journey and and, and the development that led there. Okay. But fears are real. Mm -hmm. So like, I mean, at the point that you guys came down here to Atlanta, it was like, okay, that's a pretty big move in itself, Mm -hmm. but that was to Atlanta. There was, was a later huge. move that you didn't know would come, but you knew like the pursuit was overseas. Yeah. You didn't know that'd be a Burkina, but there's a, there's a fear in just saying yes to the idea of whatever the Lord asks. Mm-hmm. Um, like what's that like as a mom with three young kids, you're homeschooling them. You've obviously you've got as you know, a maternal heart as anybody I know. And so like where, what are the fears like for you in that um, personally and, I don't know what what hump did you have to get over? Yeah, I think I think um, 
the first thing that comes to mind is just the peace that passes understanding was evident for us daily. And not to say that we didn't have fears or dreads of losing comfort, um, but you want, you want your kids to be okay. Just like if you stay in America, we want our kids to be okay. And there, so I had that level of, um, a fear of the unknown of, is this going to have a negative impact on my kids' future? The fear that future? if I follow Jesus wholeheartedly, my kids, that will be the last thing my kids will want to do because I'm going to ruin their lives. Yeah. <laughs> and, and we literally had people, um, one, ask, are you taking them? Um, we had other people who called it abuse. <laughs> right. Truly. They like, said, like, this seriously. is abusive. Yeah. And others that said they were in now, later I learned, they said they were mad at us for what we were doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and that it wasn't okay to take them away from family. So all those things, I'm a feeling oriented person. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so that was hard to know that we were disappointing our community and our, our church family sometimes and our, mm. our biological family as well. Hmm. So most people don't go from Montana to Atlanta to train in a not very established church <laughs> um, that's kind of just getting off the ground for missions. They would pick something like, you know, missionary school, seminary, a missions agency. What led to the route that you guys took there? Um, we had... We had looked into a lot of opportunities, and there's a lot that if you have a child over 12, you're automatically not not a good fit for that um, that agency's missions board, or um, or going back to seminary. And we had gotten debt free at this point, so we weren't at a position that we wanted to take on student loan debt mm-hmm. to continue education. We considered it, we prayed about it, and really wondered if that's what the Lord wants us. If the Lord is calling us to missions and that is the only mechanism to get there, we want to be willing to do that. Um, And then I remembered my uncle that I didn't maintain close contact with as an adult, but um, my mom's brother, um, I knew he ran a missions agency, had had been a pastor. So I just reached out to him actually looking for information on a program that was in this area in Clarkston. And um, that was the dialogue where I got to speak with you and Mm -hmm. your dad and um, you guys were super open and yeah. So you guys came down for a couple of weeks. You had said earlier, kind of felt things out, talked about what this would be like, and then decided to move down here, not knowing how for how long or where it would ultimately lead. Right. Um. So I think it's important for me to just acknowledge that two years here uh, was spent. Aaron also became an elder at our church. Um, obviously, your kids are you know, participate in everything. Um, you guys dove just kind of headlong into just life with what was, I don't how many people were we at that point? 40, 50, something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was in a facility off campus drive here in Norcross. And so I always think it's important when anybody who would be listening to this, who's now part of generations and um, in any way appreciative of what generations is or learning um, yourselves and growing yourselves um, here, any, I, I just recognizing that there are people who came before, before us. You know, like we're living so, at some level um, in the good fruit. I guess we're 13 years into generations, but some of the good fruit that we're getting to enjoy now, and then the sweet time that we're in as a church family, 
is, and I think has to be traced back to, you know, the stuff that was sewed into this church family many years ago. Um, and, you know, by you guys, by my parents, by other people who have come and gone, who the Lord has brought and then sent elsewhere. And Betsy and I were talking the other day, now that we're, you know, a few hundred, I don't know, between two and three hundred people, um, we, we were talking about how, but like, if you go back and you think about all the people that have come through, we've probably had, you know, between 800 and 1,000 people over 13 years that have been a part of things. And it's just wild to think about all those names. So you guys are a part of that, though. You're a part of laying groundwork and, and, and foundational pieces uh, upon which the church as it stands today has been built, you know, by God's grace. And so I just would say thank you for that. And, uh, and I hope the people who listen to this who love and, and experience generations as a gift in your life. Just know that people like Aaron and Christy helped pave the way for that and helped sow into that. And, um, so I just want to honor that part. Thank you. And we wanted to say the same thing. I, I think that to recognize that we really do view generations as our sending church, mm-hmm. you know, so um, while we call our long-term home uh, uh, in Western Montana um, in a in every way, Generations was our sending church. You know, we found ourselves because we were non, non um, I don't know if you want to say non-typical or um, outside of the ordinary path that we may have taken towards the mission field. Um, that really put us in some ways, not at odds, but in a difficult place with the, the church and the den- denomination we were in. Mm-hmm. And it was right up till right before we left, actually, uh, for France and Burkina Faso that that church finally uh, is like, yeah, we're going to, we want to get behind you guys in a small way and support you um, through prayer. And, but uh, it was so outside their way of thinking, you know, because sometimes we fall into, we get our ways, you know, and we have mm-hmm. the ways. In, and the neat thing that I would say that we've learned is that um, God's way is better, you know, and it's bigger than some of our, our predetermined um, structures and whatnot. Mm-hmm. So structures aren't bad. That can be very good, uh, but I think we always need to be willing um, to seeing God open and close doors as He sees fit, and and um, likewise for folks who may be thinking about being involved in missions in a different way, um, you don't have to look like what you think a missionary looks like necessarily um, to be able to serve the Lord in that capacity. Um, if He's calling you, then I would say then you need to move forward in faith, and and um, He'll open those doors. Yeah, and. Just in the interest of time, I, I, I wanted to focus on some of these aspects, background aspects, because it's our hope that we'll have more people who, like you guys, maybe don't don't think of themselves in this certain way, but the Lord puts a burden on their heart and draws them into this kind of service, uh, and that we would send more people out as missionaries from our church. And so I wanted them to hear that part of the story. I'm not going to spend time, I'll summarize, I guess, as best I know how, that you guys got here not knowing, again, where we would target uh, an eventual sending place, and but you just started to take steps. So you're reading, you're networking, you're going to some conferences, you're meeting people, and then you'll you explored some different options along the way. Um, eventually, um, some of y'all's skill set within the sort of um, entrepreneurial aptitudes, the the uh, the, the hands on. Um, 
you guys have been doing raising animals and stuff like that at this point. So, mm-hmm. so around things agricultural, blue collar, agrarian, uh, I don't know, th- this skill set has developed over you guys in time. And so you meet a family who's operating in Burkina Faso who invites you to at least take a look at sending uh, at that team. So we sent you at some point to in August, I think, of what, 2012 uh, for on a vision trip. Um, to a really, really, like, far away place. <laughs> um, yes. Beyond where the black top ends. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this isn't, like, overseas. This is, like, overseas and then, like, way, way out in the... Uh, I don't know how to... Ex- this isn't rural Georgia, right? Like, this is rural... <laughs> rural. Yeah. This truly is, rural. Um, far away from electricity and power and convenience and all that. So... And somehow you guys are like, yeah, that, that sounds great. Let's do this. Um, I mean, again, it takes me back to this title of a book by a missionary, and it's not, this isn't necessarily the part that it means, but the insanity of God, mm-hmm. right? Like, here's the insanity of God kind of impressed upon us to do, mm-hmm. to do things like this that do really seem nuts. Um, so going to Burkina Faso involved Aaron's favorite year of his life, moving to France for language learning in Paris. Um, that, that was, was our biggest challenge, hands down. That was. The Would you say that in retrospect? It was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Yep. That's wild. Losing your ability to communicate, having no um, familiarity, no support system in in person, mm-hmm. and then you are brought back to infancy. Of yeah. S- so tell us a little bit about what ends up. I mean, Burkina becomes a place that you connect to relationally. You visit there. This becomes a place. Tell us a little bit about Burkina real quick, just as a uh, either one of you. Yeah. Um, sure. Uh, so Burkina Faso is a country that people don't know a lot about. Um, it's been in the news a little too much <laughs> lately, right? Sure. Um, but um, on the whole, uh, it was a French colony up till 1960. Um, it holds the dubious distinction of being the country with the most coup d'etats and attempted coups in the world. Um, uh, when we uh, went there in 2012, it had been a time of about 25 years of relative peace for West Africa by, the, by their standards. Um, and uh, so we were happy with that. Um, uh, Burkina Faso is full of a lot of different tribes, like 68 different uh, languages, 69 if you count French. So there's a lot of different people groups and still a lot of uh, people groups who don't have a, a strong gospel um, representation, you know, the churches in their languages. And um, so all these things moved us in that direction. It's a country that has a lot of uh, food security issues. Um, they are up to now 22 million people in a, uh, a, a desert-like um, st- country, which is about the size of the state of Colorado. So it like, starts to build a picture, and about half of it is just pure desert. And down in the south where we're at, it's a little more agrarian, but um, it is, it's, it's a rough environment, you know, and, and it, it continually is in that bottom 20 of poorest countries on earth. So there's just a lot of challenges in a, in mm-hmm. a physical sense. Um, it's also a place where um, the gospel uh, started a, about 100 years ago there, but it's just taken time. You know, it's little beachheads here and there. So um, when we showed up on the scene... Um, there's just a lot of work still left to do. And it was daunting to us, but it was also kind of exciting to think, wow, 
you know, if the Lord could use us in a tiny way, there's opportunity here. So mm-hmm. um, the thing I would say is that we fell in love with Burkina Bay people, the people of Burkina right from the get-go because they're very warm and open people. And mm-hmm. uh, for us and our family, that was a big deal. So to be able to go into a culture that wanted to have exchanges, wanted to to get to know one another. And um, so I would say that that was one of the things that really um, kind of bound our hearts to Burkina. Mm-hmm. Anything you want to add to that, Christine? No? No. Nope. All right. Um, so in the providence of God, you guys do your year of language learning in France. Then you get to Burkina Faso. Give a, I mean, you don't have to talk. Uh, we'll we'll kind of get into what ministry looks like. People will hear about that some on Sunday. Mm-hmm. Maybe in the, in the interview we do with Felix and Priscilla, too, we'll, we'll cover some of that. But uh, give a sort of sense of what God did. How, you guys were on the ground there for four years. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Um Give a sense of kind of what God did in those four years, which also created the foundation for what is still going on today. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, uh, you mentioned quickly, we actually went with a, with an original team. We got over there and, you know, um, there's a lot of ideas in mission. There's a lot of books being written, written, um, not all of them are as valuable as others. <laughs> um, so what I would say is stick to God's word. You know what I mean? Like um, sometimes we think in our, I think it's honestly, it, it's, it's, it's well meant, but a lot of times it's our pride and our arrogance is we think we're going to figure out the silver bullet, right? What's going to finally bring Muslims to Christ. And you know what? It's just the gospel. It's not some special way of approaching it. It's just the truth of the gospel and, um, and we have to do our part, which is be obedient and proclaim that gospel. And, you know, when we got there, what we recognize is, you know, we're not, um, we're not so much about blazing a new trail that follows a, a certain ideology as we are seeing just people uh, uh, evangelized and, and coming to Christ. And what we recognize is that no matter how long we were there, no matter how um, much language we learn, we're never going to be as good at that stuff as our Burkina Bay brothers and sisters, the people who already had feet on the ground and who were already doing what we went there to do, which is plant churches, right? Yeah. So God, in his grace and sovereignty, he did put us together with national men and women, church leaders who were already all about uh, church planting. They were all about uh, seeing unreached peoples reached. And uh, we really, after a very short time, shifted our focus into seeing how we could be force multipliers kind of for them. How yeah. can we get behind the work that they're already doing and and help move the, the ball forward, so to speak? Yeah, amen. Yeah, I mean, I think part of what, uh, when, when we were planning generations, I remember a, a, a kind of a guy who would be considered a church planning expert, written a bunch of books on this issue. Um, I, I was speaking with him after a session that he taught at a conference that I went to, and and in response to a question, he said, you know, one of the one of the determining factors of you know I put air quotes success if you're going to have success as a church planner is how quickly can you pivot from the church uh, that you're planting in your head to the church that you're planting on the ground. Amen. Right. So, and it's important that you do all the work of like vision and, and, you know, prayer work and you're preparing things and you have these ideas and ways that you're going to go about things. And then, and then you start to do it. And then you learn all kinds of new things about the people that God's called you to, the specific people that God's brought to you and all that. And, and can you get out of your theory or your approach or your method that you just, you know, 
and and then tweak and adapt as needed to to be effective where you are. And I think that's part of what you guys ran into, right? And part of what you're speaking to is that in missions we adopt certain methodologies, certain approaches that that we we say this is how we're going to do this and this is what we're going to do and this is all about contextualization and different things. And and then you get on the ground and you go, "Oh, so for instance, we hear statistics about things in terms like unreached peoples and a little help for our people. Uh, unreached peoples are generally those who are considered to have less than 2% people reached with the gospel. And and I don't know if this is sociological or whatever, but statistically they would say that if you have less than 2% reached um, with the gospel, that, that is an insufficient number to for them to reach their own population, mm-hmm. that they need Correct. more help to get over a certain hump. And so y- there are websites and whole ministries built out around identifying unreached peoples across the world. And so you guys were were told all these statistics, you knew that going in, and then you get on the ground and you find that, man, nothing's neat and clean the way that it's, the way that it is on paper. <laughs> nothing's neat and clean. And there, and God was, do, like, your, your thought is you're going in, and this is like a God-forsaken place in some ways. And what you find out when you get on the ground is, oh, no, God's very present here. Mm-hmm. God's doing amazing things here. Yep. And there's some amazing people here, like Felix and Priscilla, through whom God is working. And so I love that terminology you used, Aaron, of force multiplier. What does it look like now instead of us trying to be the, the saving white Westerners in this God-forsaken land to actually be people who come alongside our brothers and sisters whom God has already called to himself, has already appointed, has already assigned, you know, the work of church planning and gospel ministry in this place? What does it look like to just help breathe a little, put a little wind in their sails? Uh, something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because, you know, we really do ourselves a disservice when we don't recognize that God's already at work there. Yeah. And he has been for generations, right? right. That's the other thing yeah. is we, we, you know, I think a, a myopic worldview, uh, self-centeredness, however you want to put it, that's common to man. You know, and even when we're really trying not to, that's our, that's our reset. Yeah. And um, I think some, for us, some of these experiences have helped us step back and gain some perspective and realize, wow, you know, we, um, God can do amazing things and we never know exactly how it's going to work and we want to be available. But um, it's important not to think too much of ourselves, you know, mm-hmm. and to and to value others uh, and their work and their commitment to the Lord um, at least as much, probably you know, more than than what we think of ourselves as how we should be doing it. But uh, Christy and I, is, honestly, just in the last couple of days, have been talking about exactly this this idea of um, how do we um, how do we not be so about how we want to give or what we want to see happen, Mm -hmm. you know, because there's so many ministries that start off, I think, with such a great heart, but the reality is they're built, their whole model is built on how we can get people on our side of the ocean to give to people in need. Mm -hmm. And I understand some of the motivations there, but in the end, we need to really kind of do a deep, you know, internal look and recognize why are we going? Why are we doing this? Is it about making us feel better? Is it making us feel like we're a small part of something else? Or is it to see people reach for Christ? Mm -hmm. And if it's the latter, then we have to be always all about that, you know, and recognize, man, sometimes that might mean we do take a frontline position. But often, especially in these overseas contexts, it means that we're going to be those force multipliers. We're going to be the ones who don't get the big name and, you know, in lights, we're going to be the ones who, who help them excel at what they're already doing well. Yeah. Christy, I'm going to look at you again. You want to add anything to that? 
No, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Still no. Okay. All right. Um, so how long in did you meet Felix? Um, I met him first. Uh, it happened to be on a day that Aaron was very sick, and I was looking for a local language tutor. Mm. Um and so he accompanied um, an elder in his church who had a lot of experience with doing, um, being a, a language helper. And um, also he's been a Bible translator. Mm-hmm. So he was familiar with working with Westerners. So um, they came to our door and our French was not proficient yet. And so um, Aaron was unable to leave bed. So he was very sick. And so I had to turn them away, which was not something that I wanted to do, but it's I... It's a cultural... Here, yeah. I'm showing you my French. That's a faux pas. There you go. Definitely was. And so they laugh about it now because obviously it puts me into question in their mind, but he is a very youthful appearing man. So I thought, I can't have this 20-something-year-old <laughs> <laughs> guys on their moto come in with my kids um, when Aaron's not, yeah. not up to coming out. So... Um, <laughs> so he, thankfully, two weeks later, they came back, and that was where we were able to just share with them, we would like to support you in what you're already doing um, as we learned more and more and more of what they were doing. And so that's how our partnership mm-hmm. was born. And ultimately, you know, a lot of people think missionaries and church planning, and they think, okay, so Aaron and Christy went over there to start their own church and to pastor their own church. And in fact, what happened was Aaron and Christy went over there and Felix was their pastor. Yeah, he was definitely our pastor. And then he allowed us to learn from him mm-hmm. and, um, you know, use our vehicle as a huge tool to show him what he hadn't seen at the outer reaches of our area. Mm-hmm. Our car could get there much better than a moto can mm-hmm. and see how many unreached villages there are. And Aaron and he looked over a map and, and really were able to strategize. Um, and then by God's grace, we actually were able to do that with some other pastors as well, planting other denominational churches mm-hmm. um, at the same time. So it kept us hopping, which we were really thankful to do. Yeah. And just give a quick, and we'll, we'll try to wrap this up here in a moment, and then we'll we'll probably tie some things together about kind of what ministry was like together there and what it's kind of become again, and mm-hmm. um, that way we kind of break this into two sections. But um, what was the range of kind of activities you're doing? I'm thinking about the lot across the street. I mean, there's the church planning stuff, but you guys were expanding into all kinds of, and still are doing all kinds of things. So just in discovering the needs and stuff. So what was kind of the range of things that y'all were doing in the four years that you were there? Yeah, because of the um, the desert living conditions there, we did a lot of work in agriculture with drip irrigation systems, trying to introduce new methods that would allow them to grow food for themselves. We ended up, we thought in our mind that we would be having an impact on villages. We ended up really focusing on blessing pastors and their families. So um that it was on a more micro level than we had originally anticipated. But Aaron did a lot of crossbreeding, bringing in animals from the north, crossbreeding with the animals that we had in our area to produce more meat on the mm-hmm. hoof. And um, so that became part of in our church planting um, efforts. When a pastor started out, we could either provide um, a cow or or goat or sheep or chickens, depending on their context and what they could keep safe mm-hmm. if they had structures to keep them contained. And, um, and that created help for them in terms of dietary yep. things, in terms of generating their own revenue income. and income mm-hmm. and that kind of thing. So, yeah. Um, and then what else? Um, 
I, I would say that to me, uh, it did those things. And but you know, like like a lot of things in missions, um, I, I think the one thing to remember on this side is because we we like numbers, right? So we like to see big splashy things. Mm-hmm. And people go uh, do a program for a couple of weeks and come back, and 10,000 people came to know the Lord. And I'm just telling you, um, it's a long, slow, steady work, you know, and God does amazing things. Mm-hmm. And um, But we need to we need to be realistic also in the sense, um, had king, dream, kingdom dreams, or realize that um, sometimes the splash is not quite what you think it is. You know what I mean? Yeah. So um, a lot of it is about, just like it is in our daily lives, is is it's a long road in the same direction, right? Mm-hmm. It's back to that discipleship, apprenticeship. Um, and looking back, some of those things that we thought would have a, a bigger impact, I'd say what had the biggest impact on all those things was the dialogue that we had both with pastors and all the people even that lived around us. And people would come visit our little experimental lot there where we did different farming techniques and stuff was it allowed me and them to be peers at some level mm-hmm. in a way that we couldn't have been in, in any other way. Right. Yeah. It, it, it was a com we shared something. There was a common interest in something that was uh, a part of their lives mm-hmm. that outside of that, we just wouldn't have had some of those points of contact. Mm-hmm. And I think that that, that's something to think about whether we're here or there. Yeah, and a lot of that has to do, again, with your y'all's willingness to adapt, right, and to be flexible with what you went there to do and to find out. I, I think, so to go back to one of your earlier points, was is that we tend to take our Western ideas about what ministry should look like and what people should do, and then we, we go to a place, and rather than... Um, you know, adapting to that culture, learning from that culture, partnering with that culture. We come in and we impose our ideas on them and we tell them how this is how we want them to do something. And and then because they feel like, well, if we're going to get financial support, let's say, or partnership from them, then we have to do things their way. And so they, rather than dishonor us inadvertently and say, hey, well, this would be better, they just sort of accept our imposition of our way of things um, in order to have some of the partnership. And in so doing, we actually dilute their ministry and render ours much less effective, if not ineffective, rather than going and going, hey, we want to, you guys know your people, you know your culture. You know, and of course, a big part of that's finding mature, gospel-centered, faithful men and women who have integrity and all that. And, and in Felix and Priscilla, you guys found that, which was such a gift, obviously, because there's not everyone is that way. Not everyone is that way. But... Uh, but that all is so critical in terms of y'all's approach and, and how we would like to approach missions as, as, a, as a church. And um, Okay, so let's, let, let me wrap up with one more question. I mean, things got dicey. <laughs> um, I think the, the la- my last trip, we left a hotel restaurant that Westerners frequent called Cappuccino's in the capital city, Ouagadougou. Um, and I landed here in Atlanta and I was exhausted from the trip home and I went to sleep and my wife woke me up maybe an hour into a nap to say, hey, there's been a terrorist attack in, in Ouagadougou and the restaurant that we ate at the night before was blown up. Uh, you guys had missionary colleagues that, were, that died in that explosion. That was sort of a, a critical turning point. Um, what brought you guys home? And, and then maybe we'll draw this to a close um, and then kind of maybe fill out the rest of the story in our kind of second episode. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of a reminder of just um, God's ways are not our ways. You know, you don't know 
what tomorrow will bring ever. So, um, yeah, we were, we've uh, recounted this a couple times, this trip, thinking back um, on that time. So, um, if I recall, too, y'all were going to stay in the missionary guest house yeah. when I left. And when I heard about that, I was terrified. And, and then when I ultimately got in touch with you, it turned out, yeah. Pro- God's providence, By you God's didn't providence. stay there. I mean, because um, we had a colleague that did um, die in that attack. Um, and uh, the reason, I mean, by God's providence that we are here today is because um, he was there with his team. So when we took James and the team back up to, to, to leave, um, we didn't have room. There's no room in the inn, basically. So if we had stayed there, we and our family would have been back in cappuccinos at night and we wouldn't be here. Yeah. Um, instead, because there was not room, we changed our plans and decided, okay, we're going to go ahead and drive all the way back to, to Bobo, which is a large town between uh, the capital city and where um, we were living. And uh, so we found out, actually, Pastor Felix called us on the drive down and said, where are you guys? And that's how we found out about mm. the attack and uh, as things developed. But, mm. you know, uh, I said that uh, Burkina had been a fairly stable country for West Africa and had been. Um, but uh, the, about a year into us being there, um, there was a national or a popular uprising, they like to call it. Mm-hmm. So they overthrew, they, they kicked out their, their long-term president who had been there for like 27 years. Um, but that created a power vacuum and a lot of stuff started happening. So um, within the first two years anyway that we were there, uh, there was the popular uprising. There was a, an attempted coup d'etat, which failed, um, but still massive instability. And then if you remember back, there's a big Ebola outbreak all around us. Mm-hmm. And so we really began to feel, you know, what we did is we felt the, we felt the peace of the Lord. You know, our mind was going, what in the world is going on? Yeah. But we were just, even when we were, you know, uh, kind of uh, holed up in our house for a week at a time when, you know, everything was burning around us because people were burning buildings and, you know, attacking people who were on the wrong side of things. We really just felt the peace of God and just uh, we praise God for that. And it was a really neat experience to to think back on. But what happened is over time, uh, the jihadist element in the country that was responsible for the attack that James, mm-hmm. James mentioned um, just gained more and more um, head of steam and uh, moved into Burkina more full time. So... Yeah, it's at a certain point. Andrew and his family were home on furlough, and I think you guys became the southernmost located white people in the country that you knew of, right? Yeah. So what it began happening is which um, was and you, which made you a target exactly. So yeah. what, what what it moved towards is a lot of kidnappings. So yeah. and we've heard of some of them on the news, but there's a lot more that happened that we don't hear of. And um, from the time of that initial. A big attack that we talked about earlier on there was uh, targeted kidnappings, mm. and it got to the point where um, it was just a it was an environment that made us question not just our safety and but really our partner's safety, and because our presence in effect caused them to be more more vulnerable. Right. So as we're working with these remote village pastors and uh, moving towards orphan care and different things. We didn't want to be put our desire to be there above their safety either. Mm-hmm. So there's this mixed emotion with, man, we don't want to cause hardship on them, and we don't want to leave. But in the end, the mission um, uh, agency that we're with said, you know what, come on home. This is in um, 
the in uh, this was my on, dad. Yes, yes, this is John <laughs> Rowell uh, and, <laughs> yeah. and their board uh, met and said, you know, we think you ought to come home. So uh, we came home at the August, around August of late July, August of. Um, 2017, and to kind of regroup and see where do we go from here? What's it going to yeah. look like? We we were getting info from from uh, folks in that in um, intelligence that kind of look at these kind of situations and give you advice as to where is this headed, how safe can you be, what are the ways to mitigate you know some of these dangerous realities, yeah. and um, at that time we decided you know um, we're not. We're not surgeons. We're not the one on the stump preaching, per se. We're force multipliers, and the best use is for us to make trips back and forth, continue supporting our national partners, and seeing God glorified in that way. And we're not going to put ourselves at at personal risk or them at risk for being being around us. With you, um, yeah. And uh, so we made a couple trips back, but the uh, the second trip we made back, we were in our... In our back in our home that we had been in for years, and uh, meeting with our partners, and we get a call one night that um, the other side of the same town, the town James has been in before, Banfora was under attack by jihadists. So they were attacking a, um, a checkpoint, and that's three or four kilometers from where we lived. So they and told a kilometer us, is what. So that would be Americans. like that would be <laughs> that would be under two miles. Okay, you know, mile two miles. So I'm asking for a friend. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah. So in long and the short, it was close. You know, yeah, it's kind of one of those bit. like like uh, close call. You would call yeah. it right. So we um, they told us. Well, we're like, well, what do we do? They're like, well, lock everything. Uh, tell your the night guard that we had that worked uh, at our home to. Um, what's going on, go inside, lock all the doors and windows, turn off all the lights, and we'll get back to you. And wait it up. And I, I realized after we had left Burkina that we should clarify our night guard is armed with a slingshot. So when we say night guard, it, it was he was um, a gatekeeper for sure, but he was not someone who would engage in combat and... <coughs> I mean, you know, so did he have five smooth stones? He did. <laughs> well, he did. Sometimes and, you only need one, Christy. Where's your and face? he was amazing with a flip-flop. <laughs> yeah. He could kill anything <laughs> with a flip-flop. So, but it really, it, we were like, we do not want him harmed in attempt to, or our neighbors. We, you know, neighbors are very, very uh-huh. close. And um, so it just felt very real that we are putting them very much in And jeopardy. at this point, your kids are home. Our kids are right, home. Right. You're so making these trips back God, without we them. We had but, internet. Yeah. We called them. And let them know, okay, the bad guys are, are here. And so um, our friends said, hunker down and turn off the lights. And we talked to our kids, asked them for prayer, prayed, and went to sleep. And woke up to a couple pastors there saying, let's get you back up into the city. Um, mm-hmm. And that was that was the wiser decision to make at that point. Yeah. Yeah, so... That's a scary drive, too, though, I bet. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, it's... Well, you've been there, James, so you know, like when there's when someone, one road, well, right? There's one road, and when someone's you're at the checkpoints, and when they're leaning into the car, their AK-47 is bouncing against the side of your car. Yeah, and it's just not it's not a comfortable context in any way for folks from from where you know. Yeah, no matter from what. our background, no yeah. matter what, and so. Um, you know, in hindsight, you can look back and recognize, man, we just lived at this elevated type of risk. But that's why we so much valued um, what the national pastors said and what missions a- missions agencies say and, and pastors back home, people who are praying for you, because 
um, you become a little bit used to living at a different level of pressure and risk and threat yeah. threat level. So it's so good to have a godly counsel around you that says, you know what, this is a time to yeah. take this a step back. This is DEFCON 12. <laughs> yes. Let's go. Exactly. Yeah. So in the end, um, unfortunately, we have not been back to Burkina since that time. Uh, was that 2018? It was. Yeah. Uh, 2019, Felix and Priscilla visited for the first time the states here, and we did kind of a cross-country sweep, speaking in churches and sharing with folks. And now they're back here doing this again in um, uh, spring now of 2023. And uh, we are just praying for peace in Burkina. We're praying for a time when uh, political stability will come and that jihadist element will be pushed back. Uh, but, you know, just to give you an update, uh, jihadism is is more prevalent now than it was Um the few missionaries that are left in the country or in the capital city in the next biggest city. Um, and there's just, they don't get to go out even to where we worked anymore. Mm. You know, uh, they have to fly between the two. They can't drive that road that James was just talking about. Yeah. gives you a little bit of an idea. And there's been three coups in the last two years. Yeah. So we're just praying for that radical change, but they know, probably the, can't imagine though, what government instability is like being, I mean, like what we face. Oh, it's so much more intense than play. No, I'm just joking. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, no, you there, know, it's, it's just a, just a different, different context. So pray for Burkina, you yeah. know, pray for the country, but recognize this, the, the gospel is growing. And indeed you would say, I think Felix testimony would say, would say, because I've heard him say it this week is that it's growing faster right now because of all the refugees and the internally displaced people and it's making life hard. Mm-hmm. But the gospel is just moving. Well, and this is what we see in the book of Acts, right? You see the persecution of, of the people of God, disperse them, and then this refrain every few chapters in Acts, the word of God increased and multiplied, right? And that's what it's doing. And uh, so it's amazing. Um, we'll, we'll wrap up here, uh, call it quits for this interview, and we'll kind of revisit maybe some of these things as we, we try to piece uh, or thread together your story and Felix and Priscilla. Um, let me just say, though, for our people, just that I so respect you guys and just want to honor um, your faithfulness to the Lord, uh, what you've meant to our church, what you've meant to me personally. Uh, I cherish um, your friendship and partnership in the gospel, and I've been strengthened by, uh, encouraged by, challenged by... Um, uh, just your, yeah, your friendship over the years and still to this day, and uh, am greatly encouraged just to see you and uh, and be with you. I'm so glad that we're still that you've been able to maintain this beachhead in Burkina to keep um, partnering with them and keep us partnering with them. And uh, we're looking forward even to the weekend and hearing more uh, at our service Sunday from Felix and from you guys. So um, love you guys. Thank you for sharing some of your story with our people. We love you guys, and uh, yeah, just keep praying for Burkina. God's work is is happening. So, sad stuff.